I feel like as a church, you know, we, we use words. Sometimes we don't think of the weight of those words, right? One of those words is revival. You often hear churches talk about revival. I see posts about something breaking out. Asbury. A convocation or chapel service that just hasn't ended yet. People falling on their faces. The Holy Spirit thick in the room. Such unity, such praise. When I pray for revival, you know that we don't just pray for this church, but we pray for every church. That we want God's spirit to fall and to fall in a real way. But I think one of the vital things when it comes to revival is the fact when you think about that, when you think about that very wording of being revived, I think there needs to be an admission that we are in some ways unconscious. And I think where we miss it at times is that we feel like we're okay. I'm done just being okay. I'm done viewing church in the way that even I view it at times. I'm ready to view it in a way that God blows our mind. That God shows up in ways that even those of us who have been raised in church and been around it for so long that we leave with our mouth open. For that to happen, it needs to go beyond using the word. It needs to go into prayer. It needs to go into fasting. It needs to go into taking stock personally. It needs to go into the fact that we quit talking about the harvest and we stop talking about being evangelistic and we invest in people and we bring them into relationship. And not just we bring them on a Sunday and maybe take them out for a $15 meal, but the fact that we invest in them, that we hear them, that we understand that for them to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, it may take an investment on our side. That when we come together, that we have a transparency. Because even when I was writing today's sermon, there are certain elements of it where I would think, you know, it's so wild how all of us, you know, there are these huge things. We each have huge things. But when it comes to something, even like a prayer time, we don't want to tip our hand because we don't want to in some way seem imperfect. And I feel like in that sometimes, that's where we put up the walls. That's where the world thinks I could never go there because they're perfect. And we carry the same weights out that we carried in. And I am praying for revival to start in each of our hearts. That when we come together, it's not something that we go away and they say, you know, a revival began at that church, but a revival began amongst God's people. 
And when God's people came together, there was a synergy. And I was thinking about it, even in the word that was given, that with the mighty rushing wind, it's amazing that when God's breath blows upon you, when you think about embers in a fire, what happens when that happens? Then they glow red hot. You can't hide it. You can't stop being what you are. And I am praying for that revival, that very thing to fall. And so if you wonder what kind of church we are, that's what kind of church we are. I want it to happen from the youngest to the oldest. I want callings to go forth and be heard. I want deliverance to happen on a scale that we've never seen before. I want it to be the kind of thing where it's not hype. And I repeat what I say, you know, in 2019, when we took that pastor and people said, how do you like it, Pastor Bob? And I would say, I'm not sure. And my wife would elbow me and I would say, I don't like hype. What I like is I like the power of God and I like things that grow in an organic way that can't be snuffed out, that can't be stopped. I'm praying for revival. Need to dial in because I need to share what God gave me to share because it's important. But when God interrupts, I think that it's vital. You know, I was just thinking, David, I was thinking, when we were doing grow together. First, I'd just like to say, it's an honor to have you here today. You did grow together shortly after his mother had passed away. And in grow together, we go around and we introduce ourselves. You know, we were coming around and it was almost his turn, and he's like, man, I'm not sure I can. I just felt it. It was one of those moments where you just stopped. You're like, you know what? You people may not know me. This may be your second week here, but what we're going to stop and do is what family does, and we're going to pray for David, which is exactly what we did right before this began. But I want you to hold him up this week. I want you to hold this family up this week because it says a lot to me when you have so many reasons to not walk through God's doors that you walk through God's doors to be with family. That preaches to me, sir. Just to let everyone know I'm okay. And here we go. I wanted to speak to you today on a travel guide for believers, we often hear this God relationship that we have described as a walk, but I'd like to think of it more as a journey. I would like to think of it in a way that this journey, almost like a Lord of the Rings kind of journey that takes a long time to complete, and it's very strange along the way sometimes. I think of in traveling, Cleveland Hopkins Airport. And I think about the fact that when we go to travel, it's amazing the things that we will overlook or endure in able to get where we're going. At Cleveland Hopkins, it begins the moment that you get in the car to go to the airport, the traffic that you encounter. When you go to the long-term parking lot, 
and the shuttle driver appears like he's been hit with the blue shell in Mario Kart, and he's just sitting over there not getting you. And then you have luggage issues, and you have tired, complaining children because you've gotten up early and because you want to have a whole day there. You have irritable people in the concourse. You have TSA agents that are also irritable. You have a lack of food options if you get there early. There are crowded waiting areas. There is a lack of working charging outlets for your phone. There are loud people. There are staring people. There are feral children like Lord of the Flies in real life. There are closed restrooms in your concourse. Overpriced, long wait for a mediocre Pike's Roast at Starbucks. There are rude gate agents. There are, when you get on the plane, overhead compartment issues, uh, like someone trying to stuff high school bleachers into the overhead compartment for half an hour. There's crying babies. There is the inevitable poopy diaper that is rocketed throughout the plane through the air system. There are people that try to go lazy boy and lay their seats all the way back on you. There's the person who stands up as soon as the wheels touch the ground. And what's awesome is once you land, there's all that in reverse, right? Today, I want to speak out of Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Give me verse 4 up here. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. 4, 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is near. 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the last one. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now this one, it hit me, and I have been digging into it this week, and I can't let go of it. To give you some context of how this works, this was written during, it's called a prison epistle, but a lot of scholars agree that this may be a two-year house arrest that went on. Paul's heart and Paul's ministry was to be out among the people. It was to raise up leaders to plant churches and go do it again. It was to father just whole congregations through this spiritual manner of being there and guiding them, and this is how you do it, and then he would go, and he'd keep touch with them. So here's Paul. This could have been the end because what he loved to do, he wasn't able to do. And here he was limited to just writing things down to send to people because he couldn't be there and have a relationship. It gets weirder because this letter is to be hand-delivered by a man named, I'm going to mess it up, Epaphroditus. He comes to Rome. He brings financial help from the church of Philippi. But what's wild is before he's to head back with this letter for the church, he gets sick, really sick. So he's sidelined, and the letter doesn't get there in the timing that Paul would think it's going to get there. Here's what it says to me. God's word does not have a start date on it. If the God who inspired this is eternal, then that word was always there within his heart. And what you need to understand is that when you dig into God's word, it is just as relevant as the moment that it was inspired to be put down on paper. I say that because he is a now God. When he says, I am, I am. In this moment, I am. And we need to understand that God's word has power, that sometimes we look at it like it's something we'll turn to for encouragement, It's something we need to turn to for every step 
for every step. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That word rejoice, about six months ago, there was a sermon about joy versus happiness. It's wild because in church, we're all about the happy. And even with kids in children's church, we would sing, you know, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, stomp your feet, yell. They'd always yell, no matter what you said to do. They'd always yell. But what's wild when it comes to rejoicing is the true basis of what joy means. Joy focuses on what God has done. It doesn't focus on what's going on around me, but what I know that I know that my God has done. And when I rejoice, it does something. When I rejoice, it helps keep me in my lane. What do I mean by that? I mean when my heart is focused on what God has done, I am less likely to be offended and to cause offense because I'm focused on God. It reminds me of when I started driving. See, it's weird to be on that side of the car after you've never been. I mean, some of you may have been behind the wheel at an earlier age, but I waited until I was legally allowed to drive, and I was scared of hitting the mailboxes. And so to avoid the mailboxes, I would play chicken with the cars coming toward me, and they would beep their horns. Didn't know how to stay in my lane. And it took me a while behind the wheel to figure out where to fix my gaze, what to look at what to keep my eyes on. And after that happened, there were a lot less horns. When it comes to joy, joy in the Christian life is all about perspective. God has not changed. I need to remember who is in control and I need to say it to my heart. What I love about this verse, because I'm an English nerd, is when it says rejoice in the Lord always, that's an imperative sentence, meaning that you will rejoice. I was reading a study by Spurgeon, and it said, how great is the God that we serve, that the thing that he gives us as one of our, a duty as a Christian is such a joy. That what he tells you to do is to be joyful in all the benefits that you reap from that. That's the great God that we serve. It's wild because in the Greek, it comes from that same word as charity. And when we hear that word, it's often related to how God relates toward us, his charity toward us, how he leans down toward us. But what I love about this, it gives us the ability to lean toward God. Are there times when you feel like you're overwhelmed? Can you lean toward God? Are there times when you feel like the world's trying to knock you over? Can you lean toward God in that moment? Philippians 4, 5, let your gentleness be known to all men. Here's how it doesn't work. For fans of the office, you don't walk in and say, I declare gentleness. Like you don't get to walk in a room and just shout what you are and people, that, that doesn't do it. Opening one door does not a gentleman make. The other day, my wife said that, <laughs> Went to Verizon to get my son's phone worked on, and he goes to walk in, and he holds one door, and then he walks right the other, and it closes on her, and she just stood there. And like all the guys at Verizon just stood because they knew my son had had it. And they're like, oh, like collectively, opening one door does not a gentleman make. I love the fact that in the first verse, it says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's almost like it was written for men because as soon as you tell me something, I've forgotten it. 
And I love with this part that when it comes to being gentle, you got to do it again, and you got to do it again, and you got to do it again. It's something that builds upon itself. The Greek for gentleness, it builds on what is really at stake. Can I just say to you as a believer, here is what is not at stake. Your worldly reputation, your worldly achievement, your worldly esteem, acknowledgement, worldly justice, worldly payback, wealth, or worldly accomplishment. Those things are not real and they're not at stake. But how wild as Christians that those are the things that we focus on so much. It's about eternity. What matters? Eternity matters. If we truly believe what we say we believe, if we know that we are finite, then eternity should be at the forefront of everything that we do. My reaction, that gentle reaction, it will preach. It will point toward Jesus or it will point away from Jesus. The world is watching. The more that they see you with the God reaction, the more they should know Jesus. The why, because our church is big on the why. I love at the end of that, we should be gentle. And the last part says, because the Lord is near. When you look at that, it doesn't mean just like God's in the room as a spectator, but the actual wording there is nearest. God is nearest. Have you ever felt like the devil is breathing down your neck? Well, when you feel that way, remind him that Jesus is in your heart. He is near. He is nearer. Four, six, be anxious for nothing in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. One of the translations there is be careful for nothing. In other words, the devil wants to keep you tiptoeing around. He never wants you to be confident where you're placing your feet. Don't tiptoe. This is not a time for God's people to tiptoe. It's not a time for us to walk around like a bunch of cocky jerks, but it's not a time for us to tiptoe. There is a quiet confidence, and I'm telling you that, that it's amazing that on Mondays during the prayer meeting, I do not know that anyone that goes to that prayer meeting is over 5'4", but they are powerhouses, the whole lot of them. That I can't think, you know, I can just see. Like the devil giving assignments out that morning and be like, well, they're having prayer meeting. No, I, I am not going near that. Here's a thing, and I'm just going to be real. <laughs> be anxious for nothing. Do you know it's high time for God's people to stop? Let me preface this with love, lots of love. It is time for us to stop saying, I have anxiety. I say that because there's days that I myself will go toe-to-toe with anxiety. But I don't have it because I don't want it. What I have is the hope of Jesus Christ. And so it's okay to say what you struggle against sometimes, what you go toe-to-toe with, but quit saying that you own it. Because that right there, that's not something I'm bringing home with me. That's not something I'm going to set a place at the table for. That is something that I'm going to let the devil know that through declaration that I have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16. When you talk about anxiety, do you know what the picture is biblically, the Greek word? It's about being pulled apart by the things that surround you. That is literally what that means. Is that how you want to walk around? 
Do you want to walk around saying, I'm a Christian, but allow the world to pull a piece off of you anytime that it wants to? No, no. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. There is power in prayer. There is power in prayer. When we talk about that revival, there are people here who have been crying out for a revival for years. There are words that have been given about revival fire going to fall. I remember reading about when the revival at Brownsville broke out, and one of the things that was said was that the pastor got up that morning, and the Spirit of God was so heavy that the only thing the pastor could do is the pastor could read, if my people who are called by my name. When he finished that verse, it was almost like the starter pistol for what God was going to do. Don't stop praying. Whatever situation, again, weighs on you, you need to tell the enemy that made that scheme up in the pits of hell that prayer is powerful, that you are one with God, that you are not going to back down, that you are going to speak life, that you're not going to look around and determine how much life you should speak, but keep pouring it on, keep pouring it on. In everything, by prayer, and supplication with thanksgiving. Supplication, do you know what that is? That is a heartfelt petition that arises out of a deep personal need. It is a felt need that is urgent. Does anyone have one of those? Take it to God through prayer, but here's the part. Here's the part that gets me, with thanksgiving. How many times do I get this wrong? How many times, how many times do I open my mouth and start begging God right away? Begging God as if I have to beg him. Why have I made prayer that way? And the thanksgiving part, I'm not just saying, God, thank you for like random things. No, the thankfulness is thanking God for his grace. When you look at that word, being thankful for his grace that saved your soul. We can walk around and we can be like, I just wish I could see a miracle. You know what? If he saved your soul, that's a miracle. And it's wild, it's wild that we discount that. It's wild that like we put that like in the minor miracle category. That is the miracle and it's the one that we need to focus on first. And so when you pray, maybe start out by saying, Jesus, I thank you for your blood that saved a wretch like me. And I'm not backing down anytime soon. And what's wild, once you do that, then you'll start thanking him for other things. And there have been times when I thought I knew the desperate prayer I was taking to God, the desperate request, and I never even got to ask. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve. What I love about Thanksgiving, do you know what it does? It reminds me that he's not done yet. If this isn't over until that trumpet blows, until they hold a service for me here, it is not over 
And the same God with the miracle working power to save a soul is still at work. The same fire of the Holy Spirit. You know, the other day I heard someone talking about, you know, traditional churches versus our kind of church. Well, you know, it's pretty wild with our kind of church. It seems to me in Acts chapter 2 that the church wouldn't have begun if the Holy Spirit wouldn't have fallen the way that it did. And what's even wilder about it is if God doesn't change, I can't imagine that God would be like, I'm going to do something awesome to get the church really out there, and then I'm going to pull that back because that would be a lot easier and make things a lot more traditional. Not a theology I subscribe to. I don't know what I ate this morning, but man. I'm not saying my stomach hurts. I'm seeing I'm acting out up here. I don't know what's going on. Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God, it surpasses all understanding. It'll guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Whenever someone comes to me for prayer, one of the first things that I declare over them is the peace of God in their heart and mind. One of the first things, I don't know what is going on yet, but saying, God, let your peace in this situation cover them from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. Because the truth is, if we don't have peace, we can miss what God's doing. Because we're too caught up looking at the storm to even know that the hand of God moved. Peace. When you look at the Greek wording here, some of it, it's wild because we will look at God's word and like how we think of words. When I was in the school, we were really big on etymology. You know, and I could just tell you what a word meant. That's not how the Bible works, though. I can't just be like, God, this is what you mean by this. No, there's real Greek words that go along with this. Peace, it means quietness, rest, and by implication, prosperity. Did he just say that word in church? I did. I did. And the last part, to set at one again. This one, this one, again. Did you notice with the first one, rejoice and then do it again? Did you notice with the second one, be gentle and then do it again? Do you notice with this when it comes to peace, peace is an again thing. If there's one thing to get into your head is that God does it again. God does it again. What God has done before, he can do again. That again part, what I love about it, there is a redemption power when it comes to me resting in the peace of God. All of the things that I sit and worry about, I can't change. But in a moment, God can. And when my mind is focused on God, he's taken care of all the other stuff. So just hand it to him and don't take it back. Don't take it back. You are justified by faith. You have peace with God through your Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing because as a pastor, it seems like the past is something that breaks so many people. Something happened and you just can't get past it. Maybe you need to hear today that you might have been bruised, but you were not broken. That you were detoured, but not derailed. And that the God plan of redemption has not stopped one single day. As I was reading that verse from Joel 2.25 came into my mind, and I need to read it before you. I shall restore to you the years 
that the locust, the swarming locust, the canker worm, and caterpillar have eaten. Years. There are some here that feel like you have had literal years of your life stolen when it comes to God's destiny. The God that I serve says, I shall restore. You think of something when it is eaten. It is no longer there for us to see. It doesn't make sense. How can you restore something that I can't see? Because it's God. Because it is the power of the almighty God which is at work right now. It surpasses understanding. That word surpasses, do you know what surpasses when you look at that? It means rises above. So whatever the devil may throw, in God's word, in Ephesians 2, 1 through 2, you were dead in the trespasses of sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit is now in work in the sons of disobedience. Oh, he may walk around thinking like, I'm the prince of the power of the air, but I'm walking around saying the God I serve is over everything. And, and I think there's times, again, we're like, whoa, whoa, the power of the air. Whoa, the power of God. And, and there's times like with, with the enemy, just call him out. Call him out. The holy angels are in awe before him. He looms immense and august over everyone around him. The God of angel armies, who is like you, powerful and faithful from every angle. You know what I pictured? And this is like the least spiritual thing for me to picture when I was reading that. Especially for me. I don't know what's happening. Kristen, I don't know what's happening. I was thinking of Game 7, 2016. Cavaliers. Golden State. I was thinking when it was coming around the two-minute mark. I was thinking about Iguodala. Layup. These guys don't miss layups. They just don't. It's just second nature to them. I mean, they're already, like, that tall, which I don't understand, and they have this, like, crazy athletic gift, which I don't understand, and, like, layups are nothing. But then, like, out of nowhere, LeBron just... And he didn't just get it. He, like, rolled it off the backboard. Remember that? And, like, all of Cleveland was just like the angels sang, you know? And I think of it in a way just like that's how the devil is. Like, I'm just going in. This is a layup. I'm going to defeat you today. This is just a layup. And, like, out of nowhere, God just sends his angels. And you're just like, did that just happen? I mean, I watched that last night, that clip. And you know how I love sports. I mean, it was weird. I had time to watch that sports because of all the sports I watch. But I watched that over and over, and it was so crazy. Like that night, I was just thinking, did that really happen? It really happened. It's on YouTube. This is the way that I think spiritually God works. That's how my mind works. When you think of those angels that surround us, my angels, I don't even know. I feel bad for them surpasses all understanding, that mind, that intellect. I say that again because on the subject of revival, that it surpasses all understanding. God is going to do things that you, as a saint of God, will not be able even to wrap your mind around. 
He's going to do things that you who may have only been walking with Christ for a little while will look at and be like, what did I get myself into? God is on the move. It is coming. It is coming. And it's not something like God bless that college and the revival that is breaking out there. But I want it here. I don't just say here at CLC, but I say in this region, because when God pours it out, not one church is going to be able to hold it. Would it not be wild if the Great Lakes Mall was actually put to use? (laughs) Man, I mean, the devil's like, I took Chick-fil-A out, the Spirit of God's left the place, but imagine, (laughs) imagine what can happen. Imagine. He's about to do the God math. He's about to give the God test results. He's about to step in with the God timing or the God odds. It'll keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We'll keep that wording there, you know, a military guard. It'll be a military guard. And I think there are times that we need to understand that what God's doing, he wants to be guarded for us. You know, he's not just like pouring out blessing and leave you on your own, but through his wisdom, he knows that a guard needs to be set, a sentinel, someone who will not leave until they are relieved of duty by their superior, someone who is authorized to use force if necessary to protect what God has put in you your hearts, the effective center of your being. When you look up that word, it'll keep your mind. You know what the Greek word there is? You. You. It'll just keep the real you. And it's weird because we walk around not even being the real us so much, but God's saying, I am looking out for the real you through Christ Jesus. Here's a disclaimer because a lot of times churches want to act like, oh, that world, they're so silly. They're so silly. There is a peace that can come from the world. You're like, no. Well, yeah. If not, so many people wouldn't be deceived. Right? Like, if there wasn't a counterfeit out there that people weren't buying up, then it wouldn't be an issue. But I'm telling you, like, if the devil, he is a master of deception, then counterfeits all out there, that he's going to offer a counterfeit peace. That's what he's going to do. But here's something that, in closing, I want to read this verse because it hit me different. John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Whenever I read that before, I always assumed that we as Christians in the world would have trouble because of the world. But as I read it this time, I was thinking the things that we turn to in the world will end with tribulation because that's all the world has to offer. So even the peace that they offer, it's almost like the bait and what's tied to the other end of it, you don't want. You don't want. And so I don't want the world's version of peace. I want God's peace. And what's wild about that is the world's, it's almost like when you're trying to eat right and you drive by and it's like Taco Bell's giving away tacos, they seem like, right? And you're like, oh, you know, well, they do have like the healthy menu. Like you convince yourself of stuff, right? Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. So in closing, the airport concourse, do you know why it's so easy for us to put up with all the things I talked about in the beginning? We can handle it because we know it's a temporary stop on the way to our destination. 
So all the things that tear you up as a believer, understand this is a temporary stop. I can endure the journey at the airport because my eyes are set on the happiest place on earth. Me and my family were unstoppable, unshakable, and undaunted because we know that that journey time is short in comparison to the time that we'll spend at the destination. I say that because as frustrating as this journey might be for some of us right now, like a vapor, it's like a vapor. And I don't want to crawl into heaven. I don't want to walk into heaven with a list of wish I would haves. I'm at a point in life where I want to leave it all on the field. That would be, as a pastor, what I would challenge you to do as well. Where God's saying, step up, step up. Where God's saying, look at it. Take it out. Look at it again. See my plan in it. Do that. Do that. You always have the choice to choose joy. God is always nearest. Your reputation will preach. You always have the choice to lead with thanksgiving. And know in the end that the peace that he gives is peace that he is willing to protect. If you stand.